Cold Stove Podcast. I am back. First episode of 2022. I got NRD in the building uh, live from the back cave, the rumor cave. NRD, happy new year, my friend. Thank you for filling in for me last week. How was your holiday break? Good, Brett. I think you had a little bit better of a time than I. Uh, going over the rundown of the show, it looks like you were in NOLA, New Orleans. Down there, in I, I was <laughs> I was in New Orleans for all of uh, eighteen hours. Got there wow. at three o'clock on Saturday. Left nine a.m. on Sunday. A lot can be done in New Orleans in eighteen hours, my friend. You are not wrong. Uh, it was a blast. I was down watching the uh, the Sugar Bowl. My girlfriend went to Ole Miss, and I went to Northeastern. We only have a hockey team who's top ten now. By the way, don't let the Huskies get hot behind Devin Levi, but. Um, so I didn't really have a, a college football team growing up. I was a big fan of BC, and I was a kind of a fan of Syracuse. Just, just that's the upstate, you know, northeast teams pretty much, besides yeah. UConn. But that UConn stinks. Um, and so yeah, it, it was one of those things where I've, I've kind of dove headfirst into Ole Miss as my my college football team. Nothing wrong so with fun. Lane Kiffin, Hottie Toddy. Go oh, Ole Hottie, Miss. Hottie Toddy, my friend. They uh, unfortunately for them they. Uh, lost their their star quarterback Matt Corral in the first quarter, so they lost to Baylor twenty one seven in one of the more boring games that was not supposed to be boring of the bowl season. But I digress. Let's talk some hockey. NRD. Last time you were on this show solo, might I add? Thank you very much. You were talking about the World Juniors that twenty minutes after we put out the show, uh, kind of fell apart. What happened there? Honestly, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. So I ripped that 20-minute podcast, which, by the way, thought I did a pretty good job. I'm going to pass Very good on the job. Back. Yes, like, very you know, good I job. Commended you. Yeah, held it down. I think it's a good look into what 32 Thoughts would look like without Merrick. I think, Brett, <laughs> you are by far and away the host. You are the captain that drives this ship while I ramble. Um, it is, I was so going to say, I, it would just I be the, the ramblings, minutes. the 32 ramblings of Elliot Friedman. Yeah, be 30 very without similar. Merrick. Exactly. Um, no, I think we did a good job on that, but as I was recording that, ripped it 20 minutes, took 30 minutes to kind of send over to you and get done with it, left the studio, left the Batcave, because yes, I see sunlight every once in a while, and I got a text immediately from a USA Hockey rep that said the tournament's canceled. I texted you, you got the text, 30 seconds later, the tweet was out there, and that was it for the World Juniors in Edmonton and Red Deer, shouts to Rick. Um, yeah, that was it, ripped for that tournament. And honestly, it, it's disappointing, right? Because if you look at the, de- uh, the the deck, the cards that were stacked against these federations when they joined this tournament, like Team USA, they had a couple positives, with, especially with their goaltending, which is obviously is a crusher. And I, I don't like I don't disagree with forfeiting that game against uh, Checky. I think was the team that they were supposed to play, where they forfeited one nothing because the goaltenders were all caught up in COVID. But like I saw a tweet, I think it was from Chris Peters that. Team USA was in like a public hotel with a wedding going on, like a oh, giant super spreader wedding. And it's like, these te- there's nothing that these teams, these federations, these kids could have really done to prevent the situation that they were in. It's just another testament to why the IIHF is a disaster. And uh, it's a shame because some of some of the top talent that we're going to see in the National Hockey League over the next two or three, four years is on showcase, Connor Bedard and Matvey Michkov, but... You know, it, it's sad. It, it sucks for the world of hockey. And it's, like I said, it's another testament to why, you know, the Federation needs to figure their shit out sooner than later. You know what I think the cancellation did save, though, was uh, 
perhaps an embarrassing tournament for Team USA, to be honest with you. I don't – I like some of the guys on their team, Matty Beniers, Coronado, Patsuyov, Red Savage, one of my favorite names of all time. I think Canada was going to boat race them, if not Sweden as well, if not Russia as well. Who did you hear the uh, the stories about the Russian kids on their flight afterwards? Oh yeah, they wouldn't stop smoking and whatever, ripping just... darts in the back of the plane, and the the flight attendants are like, "What are you guys doing?" They wouldn't put their masks on. Goodness, what a nightmare! But I think Team USA saved. Uh, I wouldn't call it embarrassment, but I I certainly think they saved themselves from a out of the medals finish. You know, there was an unfortunate tweet that I sent out after USA won their first game that I tagged you in, and I said, I look forward to uh, going over USA's gold medal championship with Brett on the next Cold Stove pod. So, luckily, can old takes expose me, because that never, we, we never know. You never know. I mean, could have got hot at the right time. So, I'm glad I escaped that one. But yeah, I agree with that. Team USA lacked the high-end talent that they've had in years past, and... Some of the names you mentioned, Beneers, Red Savage, you know, they have young talent in the system, but no top-end guy, no Adam Fox that they had of years past, no Matthew Kachuk, no Brady Kachuk, none of the premier talent Uh, that Team USA Hockey's had at the previous World Junior Championships. Leaving Casey Middlestead out of that, huh? You know, (laughs) he's great He lit it up. I know, I know. I'm, I'm joking. He can score. Can't skate, uh, but he can yeah, score. Sure, sure, sure. He's Cole Caulfield 1.0. Cole Caulfield <laughs> is Casey Middlestad 2.0. Um, but yeah, it, it, Canada had a team that I, every time I watched them, I got more and more excited about Owen Powers' future as a Buffalo Sabre. I was excited about uh, Connor Bedard. You know what's funny? The thing with Bedard, though, is yeah, he scored four goals, and yeah, it was really cool, and, and the hype train could not be hotter right now. <sighs> Were they the most impressive goals you've ever seen? Like a couple of cleanup jobs and, and a nice snipe, right? I, I am, and I want your take on this, I am more of a Matvey guy myself. I'm more of a Matvey Michkov guy myself as well. I'm not going to take anything away from Bedard because they don't ask how, they ask how many. We know that. Sure, sure, That's sure. this business. They don't care if he's going to score the first four-goal game since Gretzky in the 70s. For, the, for a 16-year-old for Team Canada, then I don't think it matters how the puck goes in the net. But that being said, I think Matt Vavimichkov is going to be the best, best player in, the, in that 2023 draft class. Mm-hmm. I think he's much more deserving of the first overall pick than Connor Bedard. I think Michkov is probably the most well-rounded player that's come out of Russia in a very long time. Not one-dimensional. He's extremely skilled with the puck on his stick. Obviously, we know that he could score goals. But he's great off the puck as well. He's getting into space. He's getting into the right lanes to score goals. He's taking selective shots. He's got it between the ears. He's got a great sense of hockey IQ. And I think that if he doesn't go first overall, I think it'll be for two reasons. It'll be North American bias combined with the fact that he's under contract in Russia for another six years. And I think that <laughs> that kills the NHL perception of Matt Michkov to the point where I'm not saying he's not going to come over. Kirill Kaprizov did it, but it... It lessens the it lessens the hype around a player like that when there's just too much unknown. Hundred percent. Imagine if you're an owner who's sort of like a win now type of guy, and your first overall shiny new toy can't play for three years at least because the NHL honors KHL contracts. That is is scary to me. That 
yeah, it's gonna even if he's a twenty four year old rookie, well, you missed out on three to four years of of talent and six years of marketing. Like that is scary to me. Where a Bedard will be in the NHL as an eighteen year old. So, it, what hurts I, the NHL? Well, what hurts the NHL? You mentioned it. They honor the KHL contracts. I also think what kills them is the the max rookie contract of three years, nine, 925K. I mean, they're allowed bonus overages and they can give these guys, you know, bonus money for making the lineup, playing well, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. But they're killed by the fact that, you know, there's a briefcase, there's cash in it, there's Russian rubles in the briefcase, and it goes to kids like Matvey Michkov and they stay for six years. And they're going to go over, like I said, but the NHL is lacking in that department because of that scale. Now, you know, obviously... Wage is on a scale, it's on a spectrum, it's not comparative to the NFL, what the first overall pick in the NFL draft gets, but at the same time, you know, probably not high on the NHL priority list right now of things to address, but down the line, if we want to look into things like that, I think that's where you start, is that should the first overall pick, should the second overall pick, should these guys that are coming overseas from Russia and from the SHL in Sweden, these men's leagues, be allowed to sign for a little bit more on their rookie contracts to incentivize these guys being in the NHL at 18 years old. And, you know, I'm a big proponent of that. I think it should be allowed. I don't think we should see guys like Kirill Kaprizov in the league at 25 winning the Calder. Not because he's not deserving, not because he's not a rookie, because I think by definition, Kirill Kaprizov deserves that. But that being said, why wouldn't you want to, like you, like you mentioned, market him since he's 18, be here forever, get that homegrown, organic kind of growth with the fan base that this kid is the guy you drafted he showed up on day one and he was there not not the white whale coming over from russia six seven years later post-draft totally and I, I don't know the answer for how you do it i i agree that maybe you have a pool of money that you can spend over the 925 or you know in three years it'll be 975 or whatever maybe you have a rookie pool that can be incentives whether it's signing bonuses like the nfl does where in the NFL, you're almost better off not getting drafted in the seventh round. You'd rather be an undrafted free agent to go to a situation that you like, and you get cash on top of that for somebody to be like, "Hey, we're gonna give you 130 grand to come here for the summer," type of thing. Yeah. I, that, that's there needs to be some sort of system in that. And I don't know. I, I don't have a whole lot of faith in the NHL when it comes to money and progressive monetary policy that goes uh, against ownership. So. We might have to table that one for a couple of years in RD. Not high on the priority list, like I said. You know what should be high on the priority list for the Edmonton Oilers, though? Figuring their shit out. Picked picked a number, like take a card. Goalie, forwards, uh, COVID, the head coach. Uh, shoot, their GM. I mean, where do you want to start in RD with the Edmonton Oilers? I mean, let's start in the net because that's – probably the most realistic concern and then we'll branch out to fantasy land about a Connor mcdavid trade request. Ah, that's just not happening but we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll play fantasy land in a little bit let's start in the net with uh with edmonton no nico koskinen is not a great goaltender mike smith is there uh, half the time according to miko koskinen i think he's a little better than he thinks he is <laughs> i listen <laughs> you- if you're I'm going to discredit the whole system right now. If you're a goalie and you're wearing sweater number 19, you're not that good. Uh, (laughs) No, I kid, but Mike Smith's there half the time. Stuart Skinner, is that their other goalie that rotates in? Stewie. 
Stuart Skinner rotates as the third kind of guy there, and just one man can't do it all. Two men can't really do it all, because if you think about it, the Edmonton Oilers have the two best players in the National Hockey League. And that's been the story of the Edmonton Oilers for decades now. First overall picks that come in with zero supporting cast. And, you know, there's been turnover at the general manager position, and then there's been turnover behind the bench. But the same problems still remain. The song remains the same. That they struggle supporting their top superstars, and support comes in a myriad of different ways. It comes in with a high-level goaltender. It comes in with the right coaching system. It comes in with defensemen. It comes throughout. And right now, I think goaltenders, they're pressing concern. If you're a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury, why in the fuck would you want to go there in the first place? Like... That's that's what's cold. running against Edmonton right now, right? Like now, okay, Koskinen sucks, and you know, Tippett hates him, and you know, whoever you know, Ken Holland doesn't like him either. And but where do you go from here? Because the top fish out there in the goaltending market, the true rental, Mark Andre Fleury, has an NMC. Is he going to want to wave to go to Edmonton? Does he see Lord Stanley in his future down the line this season for the Edmonton Oilers? I don't think so because I think their problems run much deeper than goaltending. So I'll, I'll digress back to the host here. We'll go on a new path and we'll leave the goaltending discussion aside because there really is no answer. Because who do you trade for? I mean, do you bring in a guy that doesn't want to be there? Probably won't even waive his no movement clause to be there. I leave that up to discussion. How about how about a Linus Allmark or a uh, oh I don't I don't even know I, I like a Craig I, Anderson if he's healthy in Buffalo you know does Allmark do they, have an NMC too I think Allmark yeah, has, has a no trade he does as he well. would have to waive but that's that's a situation that you know we, we might talk about today but we're gonna have to talk about the Bruins here relatively shortly because Tuka Rask is uh, what two AHL games away from from being an NHL goaltender that's so correct. poor Swayman but uh, they they sort of made their bed there I guess you know like. They said, oh, we're going to create this problem later on. But with Edmonton, our Ryan Nugent Hopkins is now hurt out three to four weeks, according to Mr. Ryan Rishog. McDavid is out with COVID, and they've lost 10 of 12. So, you know, it's sort of in a weird way buying Tippett some time because now he has excuses to point to. But, I mean, they were a 700-plus hockey team by November 1st, and now they're sub 300 the last month. Like, what is what is happening in Edmonton? What has happened? You you used to think they, you know what, if they if they win 6-4, they're fine with that. Now they can't win, they, uh, they can't score two goals. It's, it's just what is, uh, what is the solution there? And they don't exactly have, um, uh, you know, like, I'm trying to put this right. They, they're sort of remind me of Toronto, right, where the, the, Top heavy lineup scores their goals, and now Toronto has Jack Campbell. Oh, there's no Jack Campbell in Edmonton. So how how do you figure it out? I don't know. I don't know. Oilers fans are like NRD Schmerman. We need answers. Why? This is a team that I don't know what to do. We have the two best players in the world. Oh, good good start, good start. <laughs> and then now you have a, you have a Darnell Nurse and. Duncan Keith making $5 million and Tyson Berry who wants out and Cody Cece of all people is the savior on the D line. You know what the problem seems to me in our D? Ken Holland, unfortunately. Are we surprised? No. I mean, look what he did to Detroit. 
And Detroit's still trying to get out of what he did. Steve Eiserman had to go in and and save Detroit from Ken Holland's couple years of, you know, I I don't know. It's a... Listen, Steve I, Stevie Y was going to go home all along, but that's still a break glass in case of emergency hire because of what Ken Holland left them with. Cupboards were bare. I, Jake DeBrusque is not the answer, right? Like that, that rumor was bullcrap to say, the, you know, to put it in nice terms. He was never going to Edmonton for Kaylor Yamamoto, but that's not the answer even if it were true. You, bring, you move Yamamoto out, Yamamoto's been contributing pretty well in that lineup and... You think Jake DeBrusque is going to give them anything different? And that's not a slight against DeBrusque. It's just that their problems go much deeper than a change of scenery, one-for-one, second-line wing guy, you know? Totally, like, totally. That's not the solution to Edmonton's issue. Neither is Mike Babcock. Because you know you know that know. chart? You know that meme chart that's like chaotic good, chaotic neutral, chaotic bad? Bruce Boudreaux is chaotic good, right? Like right. he's fun. We know what we're getting with old Brucey boy. Starred in the movie Slapshot, by the way. Um, you know what you're getting with Bruce Boudreaux behind the bench. Mike Babcock is kind of on the complete opposite end of that spectrum. He's just an asshole. And I don't right. know if that's the right personality you want behind the bench with a guy like Connor McDavid and, you know, Leon Dreisaitl, especially when, you know, like the guy, seems very nice, but the only other guy in that same vein of Mike Babcock, John Tortorella said, Connor McDavid needs to forecheck more or something to that effect. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, you're you're a moron. So... Babcock's not the guy either, and, you know, real great stuff from Ken Holland. Kudos to him for saying that Babcock probably isn't the guy for them right now. I mean, who knows if he's blowing smoke well, on everybody's ass, but, like, hopefully he's true to his word, because otherwise I think he's a complete idiot. And People are just doing a his, a historical tie-in. And I, yeah. and I, I don't I, – I, let me commend Ken Holland for what he did early 2000s Detroit, but clearly that fell apart, right? Like, there, there something changed – where he, he knew how to create a team in the early 2000s, and, and the last 10 years or so has been a debacle. And think about the leadership that those Detroit teams had with Mike Babcock behind their bench. Henrik Zetterberg, right. Nicholas Lidstrom, Hasek and Osgood in the net, and you know Pavel Datsuk, who he was their top-skilled guy, but they had guys there that have proven themselves, and I'm not saying McDavid and Dreisaitl haven't, they have, but... You went up and down that Detroit roster. Chris Draper, Chris Chelios. You know, they had... Dan Cleary was another guy in that in that locker room. Like, they had veteran leadership that Edmonton sorely lacks. And, you know, once again, kudos to Ken Holland for saying that Duncan Keith has really stepped up in the locker room and has been yeah. a leader there. And I say that, you know, side-eye. Tongue-in-cheekly. Tongue-in-cheek, yup. But they just don't have that mesh for that type of coach. So hopefully that stays the same. But Tippett's not good either, and quite frankly, we sit here, and I look at you, and you look at me, and we're going, what the fuck do we do with Edmonton? And that's honestly what many people have a question, it's many people's questions, and I don't know if I have an answer either, because it runs much deeper than a change of scenery Jake DeBrus to Edmonton trade. That doesn't help much, no. if anything at all. I think it actually makes it worse. I Yeah, they're at, they're at a, I don't even want to say at crossroads, they are a team with extremely high-end talent that cannot figure out a way to support that high-end talent because they have a dinosaur GM who is building the team in the way he thought he could build a team in 2003. And we just need, like, you, do you think a shred of analytics exists in that Edmonton uh, front office? Or if they, or if it is, is some poor kid who 
has no say in anything that happens. Simple math. And this is me. This is me speaking out loud. They could have nine guys in there that do analytics. I don't think they they give a fuck. Simple math, man. If we score two goals, they score one. We win the game. Analytics, boom. Yeah, points. Who who's got the most points? Let's sign. Uh, let's sign Zach Hyman. Plus Hyman. minus. Yeah, it's plus minus. Time on ice and and points. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, so you're you, you're throwing water, cold water on the McDavid trade stuff. Yeah, he's not going to request a trade at Edmonton just yet. I mean. Listen, anybody could be traded. Wayne Gretzky was traded. Oh, ironically, from the Edmonton Oilers. From the Edmonton Oilers, yeah. But I don't think... Connor McDavid, albeit a little weird if you've seen the interior of his house, he's a good kid. And uh, he's... uh, I don't see him giving up on that challenge. I think he's committed to bringing a Stanley Cup, or at least... Because Gretzky brought many Stanley Cups to Edmonton before Gretzky went out the door. And that was more so for financial issues. Gretzky never really wanted to leave. Mm-hmm. Connor McDavid, I think, is in that same good old Canadian boy vein of he is committed to making it happen in Edmonton until he absolutely can't. Frustration's growing, I'm sure. I'm not in his brain. I can't tell you exactly what he's thinking, but I think it goes without being said that he's surely frustrated. But if you move McDavid, like, I get it, Edmonton. You know, things look bleak right now. But if McDavid's gone, I mean, it's over. You know, like yeah. dry, like that's you peanut butter this... and jelly with with dry side. That's Mark Messier and Wayne Gretzky with the two of them. Like if you move Connor McDavid or if Leon Drysaddle requests the trade because they're frustrated, that's it. I, I mean, there's nothing. You could close that book on the Edmonton Oilers for the next ten, fifteen years. We're talking about the most talent, probably the most talented hockey player of all time. Not the greatest because I think that Wayne Gretzky by far and away takes the cake with his hockey IQ and his knowledge of the game. But Connor McDavid is the most talented hockey player we've ever seen on this planet. So you move 100%. him and it's over. Yeah, a hundred percent. He, he is one of very few guys that when they skate and when they handle the puck, they look like they're playing a different sport. The way he moves his feet, the way he sees the ice, the way he is faster at literally everything than every other player on the planet Besides, like a like Austin Matthews looks freaky different. Jack Eichel looks freaky different. Leon Dreisaitl doesn't look freaky different to me. He's just an elite goal scorer, right? There's there's guys that there's those three off the top of my head: Matthews, McDavid, and Eichel look different on the ice, which is why I, I think poor Jack just if he was in a better situation the last couple of years, he'd be right up there but i I don't know it feels kind of saversy honestly like mcdavid dry subtle uh eichel reinhardt obviously a different level there um and do you have to blow it up to make it work i don't know i think it it starts with the gm change or starts with the coaching change excuse me evident that it will require a gm change and i think mcdavid will start to pull some strings behind the scenes it's a philosophy change more than any one single role. It's a philosophy change to embrace the new, embrace the young. Like they're right now, they're outclassed by teams like Anaheim, who Anaheim has a ton of great young players in the lineup, but they don't have the talent and the skill of a McDavid, of a Drysital, of a Jesse Pugliarvi. Like, but Anaheim has embraced that young talent, let them grow in the lineup. And I'm not saying Edmonton hasn't. It's just that 
You look at what you watch those two teams and tell me which team looks like they're having fun out there. It's a philosophy change. And it starts, like you said, from the top. Ken Holland, I would like to say, goes by way of the dinosaur, but Jim Rutherford just got a job. So, you know, who knows? Grass isn't always greener. But change needs to be coming to the Edmonton Oilers sooner than later. I don't think Mike Babcock's that change. I don't think a change of scenery move is that change either. It's institutional change. And you know what's scary, man, with, with Edmonton is the pipeline is not exactly loaded. No. Um, and they don't exactly have a ton of draft picks. In fact, they don't have their third or fourth round pick this upcoming year. So you're kind of staring like off a cliff here. It's like this this iteration of this team is supposed to work. And it did. They looked great to start the season. But I think uh, hockey Twitter would tell you, that it was a little smoke and mirrors to start. And now the they've fallen back to earth to where people kind of expected them from an analytics standpoint. I think one, uh, one Wayne Gretzky said on a pregame for the first game on the NHL and TNT back in October that he thought that this was the year Anaheim takes a deep run in the conference final. And uh, I don't know if that's the case. <laughs> Let's uh, let's let's stay north of the border. We uh, we got some news on the Montreal general manager search that you may or may not have known uh, from this very podcast a couple months ago. But let's let's recap Montreal's GM search ongoing now with names uh, formally attached to it in Matthew Darsh, Bobby Lou, and Danny Briere. NRD, what's going on in Montreal? I still think Roberto Luongo is the best of those three. Um. Just because of never obviously played for the Canadians, but is an absolute gem of a person, a great personality, and that's what Montreal's looking for, somebody to face the media while Gordon pulls the strings behind the curtain. And Roberto Luongo has a great deal of interest of becoming a general manager or growing his role at the executive level around the National Hockey League. So he makes the most sense to me if you're going to do that, but... Like we've said on this podcast before, all three fit a mold. They're all three francophones. They've all three not had that GM role anywhere else in the National Hockey League. They're looking to grow. They're looking to groom somebody into that position. And Danny Breer makes a lot of sense. So does Matthew Darsh. My personal favorite is Roberto Luongo. I, you know what? This this is probably obviously the bias in me, but I, I Danny Breer seems too perfect for that spot for me because he saw a team be built. I mean, I guess Luongo has as well, sort of a different way than Briere had. Briere had this, the small market team that was built up 99. They were good. Briere kind of gets there in the early two thousands. Then they be, they become good. Where Roberto Luongo had sort of these studs all around for a long time. So I think I'm just biased from my Buffalo stuff, but I, I guess we'll see there. I just wanted a quick update on that, that, the names have checked out and kind of match up with what you had reported a couple months ago. Go figure. Um, go, go figure. Breaking news during this podcast, we, we do this quick. Alex Nylander traded to Pittsburgh for Sam Lafferty, who heads back over to Chicago. Alex Nylander, you may be familiar with the Buffalo Sabres first-round pick from a couple of years ago that now has not worked out in two spots. Do you have any hope for him? 
in Pittsburgh. No, and I saw some people saying that he's going to go put up like 60 points on the wing of Sidney Crosby, and that's just horse shit. He's not going to be no, more than a third-line player. Not. He will not. It's unfortunate. He's where he is. Good he's kid, got a I'm last sure. name. Yeah, well, he's, he's got a last name that, that uh, has brought him places. I'll put it that way. From what I've heard, he's not exactly the best teammate. All right, well, you know better than me. <laughs> you watched the Winter Classic NRD? I did watch the Winter Classic. It was a great time. I thought it was really cool. And cold, obviously. Um, I didn't. The only thing I didn't love about it was the switch to nighttime. And I can't explain it other than maybe it's just changed that I'm not used to. Um, but I understand why they did it because of the weather the last couple in Winnipeg and obviously Lake Tahoe. Thoughts on the Winter Classic from beautiful Minnesota? I actually really enjoyed the nighttime game. I think it can become its own thing at night. I think it makes it unique under the lights. The whole point is we're playing these in outdoor stadiums. And you get that kind of scenic, interesting concept of them being under the famous lights of you know, Target Field. is not a uh, staple, not a mecca of baseball. But say you have this at a Yankee Stadium or something like that. And you get those symbolic lights and whatnot. Like I think that, I think that that is what the NHL was going for. Steve Mayer, always a guy that's looking for great... Uh, locations and content for the game he's their chief content officer if you will but i thought it was a great game the product on the ice was fantastic we didn't have any concerns with how poor quality the ice was because of the cold in minnesota i think people froze their asses off there so congrats to everybody who survived the uh the temperature drop in uh in the twin cities there and toughed it out for the game minnesota's a great club I think they still got a shot at it. St. Louis is too. I think they're a little bit more of a fringe contender than than a Minnesota. I think this was just a little bump in the road for Minnesota. But that was a really good winter classic by way of the game. I mean, St. Louis broke it open for a little bit there. And then, Saint, uh, and then Minnesota came back. I think it was Kevin Fiala scored a goal with like two minutes left or three minutes left from the front of the net. Brought things back. It was a close one. And I wish more winter classics were played at night. I wish they were like that. Probably not two of the biggest marketed teams in the National Hockey League, but two teams that know how to put on a hell of a show. The arena, the stadium looked fantastic. I love the old Minnesota Lake feel that they went with it, uh, with it for. And you know, we don't know where next year's is yet. I was told some things regarding a stadium series game over the next couple of years. I and I tweeted this out the other day. I don't think it'll be for a Winter Classic, but we know that the NHL wants to complete the. Um, the sweep of the service academies in the United States. So there's a West Point game coming for the stadium series sometime soon. Ooh. If not next year, because I know Carolina's owed a stadium series game um, at, at Finley Stadium across the street from, you know, the PNC place or wherever they play. Now I forgot the new name of it, but um, where the NC State plays their football. So there's going to be a game there. And then West Point is next on the docket for the National Hockey League. Sources tell me that that is most likely some combination of the Vegas Golden Knights with owner Bill Foley being a West Point grad, obviously their namesake. Uh, the New York Rangers, local, probably wouldn't be the home team because their stat, uh, their tax exemption to play home games only at Madison Square Garden in New York State. Florida Panthers, also their owner, is a graduate of the United States Military Academy. Some combination of those three teams will be playing in West Point over the next two seasons for the NHL Stadium Series. One of the coolest venues in the country, not only from a stadium 
standpoint. It's a very, very, it's a be- it's beautiful. Location-wise, a, a great place to just take a tour of at some point if you ever get the chance. A really, really, really cool location uh, with a obviously a lot of history behind it. Looking forward to that announcement when it does come. NRD, we have one more piece of news that I want to get to before we whip around. How's that sound? Yeah, me. Keeping with the sort of U.S. versus Canada um, part of the show that we sort of started with, COVID has become sort of a U.S. versus Canada issue. Obviously, Canadian teams more or less shut down completely with restrictions coming back and coming back in full force. The United States has sort of taken the approach of we're vaccinated, the majority of us are, we're going to let these things play out as they may. Protocols have been cut to five days of isolation before you can test out of it. Your thoughts on the current COVID situation and how Canada is taking a uh, very hands-on approach to the point of uh, taking the season to a place where I don't know if we're going to be able to recover from. Well, that's the issue is the crossing of the border. And I mentioned this on the solo pod last week kind of hard to not have somebody there to bounce this off of but uh i'll place that blame on you mm. no the um the, the border is an issue for the national hockey league and it's something that the nba and the nfl hasn't faced really the nba to a very small extent but the nfl not at all and that's why the nhl is in this issue that we're having i mean games are now being postponed not because of any COVID issues but because there's just no fans there and financially you know, to quote Joe, Joe Exotic, financially, they will never recover from this, um, <laughs> from from the lack of fans in the stands. And it's only, it's getting better in certain provinces. It's not getting better in others, from what I'm told. And the NHL has a conundrum because they're going to keep postponing these games taking place in Canada for the hope that fans are going to be in the seats later on down the line. But, you know, I... I'm not an optimist. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. What if we never get to that point in the next three or four months when we have to finish that season? Now you're going to have a, a true backup of games. It's going to look like the Port of Los Angeles with all these container ships sitting in the ocean. You're going to have all these games backed up, right? Ready to go, ready to be played. And you're not going to have enough time to really get them in for the confines of the schedule that you set when the season started. So it's, abs- the, it's bonkers. It's bonkers. And, and the decision... The decision is nigh. It is, is, it is nearing. Whether we just say, fuck it, and we play these games with no fans, and we eat the money. We know today that a couple of NHL organizations sued their insurance companies for back pay on the COVID damages, and that these insurance companies did not pay out yet. So that's an issue, something to watch for that ties into this whole game. But eventually push is going to have to come to shove from a hockey point of view, from a, from a hockey ops standpoint and say listen we have to play these games with or without fans otherwise we're just not going to finish again until the middle of july it's just at some point common sense has to take over and i am i i am all for that covid has been a dangerous um a very a very dangerous uh, obviously a a a life-altering and world-altering virus we now know enough about it we now know enough about Omicron, the dominant virus or dominant variant in both the United States and Canada. We now know the vaccination percentages. We know that vaccines work and they're doing their job. They're not going to stop you from catching the virus. They're going to stop you from getting sick, sick, sick in a lot of the cases. 
common sense has to take over at some point. And I, I please don't paint me as a at like we need everything everything open. Like, do you not think about the healthcare system? Of course I do. Of course I understand that. But we are to the point where we know that this is not going to knock NHL guys out. And it, and a lot of the times, it's like 60% of the time, they're asymptomatic completely. So I, I, I hesitate to be like, oh, it's the flu. It's the cold. It's getting to the point where it is. And that is just the truth nowadays. When these guys are triple vaxxed or double vaxxed in a lot of cases, triple vaxxed in a lot of cases, boosted, fans are boosted and vaxxed. Now the decision has to be, we, we've done all we can. We've done all we can from a personal responsibility standpoint. In a lot of the cases, I know there's stragglers out there. I know there's 15 to 20% of people are never going to take these things. And the reason we're still in this position in this country and that country are because of them in a lot of cases. That's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is the, for the 80% of us that have done our duty as citizens of both countries, we need the option to live. And now we're to that point in the U.S. and and things are going smoothly where hospitalizations are steady to increasing at a far less pace than they should be given the caseloads. If you would have had Delta or the original variant, we've, we found that Omicron is in fact milder. So that's my COVID rant. It's unfortunate that the Canadian government will, will it, it just... I, and I get the cautiousness. They do not want to overwhelm the healthcare system. That's why this is such an issue of, of you're kind of step one foot in, one foot out. I don't want to go one foot or, or jump all the way in here. And I get that. But we're finding the more and more that we look at this is that we can live with it. And I know there's going to be deaths. I know there's going to be cases. I just, we can live with this as close to normal as we've been. So that's... That's my COVID rant. I, I just hope to God that we can we can get through this in a what's the word I'm looking for NRD in, in a a way that everybody is, is going to be able to benefit. And I understand both sides, so please don't come at me for it. But well, I think we're we're ready. We know we know enough about this. We we have the common sense to to be smart, to be safe, and to move forward. And I'm not. It's it's very similar to what I said last week, a couple weeks ago. Now it was right before the Christmas break, actually, from from stemming off of what Steve Eisenman said, a couple of his comments regarding it. And I, you know, come at me all you want. I'm I'm pretty secure in my opinion. And I know you are too, Brett. Is that listen from a health and safety standpoint, we need to test and trace if we're gonna slow the spread and control the virus. From a hockey op standpoint, and I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying one's right or what's wrong. I'm just speaking in facts here. From a hockey operations standpoint, eventually we're just going to have to play this. We're going to have to play these games. Like, mm-hmm. that's just it. And is it the right thing or the wrong thing? I'm not the moral high ground. I'm not here to say. But we're a hockey podcast, and we're talking about how this is affecting the game of hockey. And if you want to talk about that, then we're going to have to say, listen, hockey will be affected unless these games get played. And we have to learn to understand that some guys are going to get sick. Most aren't, which is a good thing. And everybody's got the shot. And but if you want to finish the season before the end of July, these things are going to have to happen whether you like it or not. And 
it's it's a combination of everything and it's a shitstorm and it's not easy for anybody to kind of work their way out of this out of this because I think a lot of it is nobody wants to be the one that says, Hey, we're gonna charge forward and play these games and totally because and then it comes back the and risk. blows yep, there's a risk and it blows up in your face and it's it's on you as the, the champion of playing these games and but quite honestly that's unfortunate for any industry right now because there's a lot of unknown still. There's a lot of unknown and it's gonna come down to whether the NHL wants to be the ones that take that step and say we're going to do it or they want to play on the safe side, which not necessarily a bad thing either. And that, and I think that's what the crux of you, not trying to put words in your mouth, but I think that's what we're both mm. trying to say here is that we don't know what's right or wrong necessarily because nobody really knows what's going on. But speaking in hockey terms, you're going to have to play these games. I, I, I think we do, we do have a better idea than we did even three weeks ago of what the consequences of this variant from like a very scientific standpoint are we know that COVID is airborne. Now we know we don't have to disinfect every fucking surface that somebody touches at this point. Mm-hmm. It's all about ventilation. It's all about uh, uh, like it, it masks. They do help. They do vaccines. They work like every, everything. Just it just all is common sense. It all makes sense to, to keep going. And, and I'm sure these poor guys see bowl games with 70,000 people at them, and they're like, what are we doing? Like, what what are we doing? And, and there's no catastrophic shutdown two weeks after the a, a bowl game. There's no catastrophic hospitalizations because we what we, we've seen, we've learned, is that this thing is not going to take us out like it was in March 2020, and people are nervous about it because the caseloads are so high. Yep. So that's the – okay. We're done with COVID for, for this week. We, I, I know people are sick of it. I am very much one of them. I understand every side of the argument because for my, my dad's very immunocompromised. My sister had it last week. We had to walk on eggshells at Christmas. She couldn't be there. We, we took all the precautions. I masked up. Didn't do anything for New Year's. Didn't do anything for Christmas. So I did it. I am very much on team cautious. But what we know now has provided us the opportunity to move forward. Rant over. Let's whip around NRD, shall we? Jacob Chikrin is very much on the block. That's no surprise to anybody. But we've had some updates in terms of what it's going to take to get him. So let me ask you this. What's it going to take to take uh, to get Jacob Chikrin? I mentioned last week on the solo pod that it starts at at least two first-rounders of value. At least starts there. And we know now Elliot Friedman uh, mentioned yesterday that probably closer to what Buffalo initially asked for for Jack Eichel in the four first-round range. So if you want to split the difference of what I said and what he said, if I said it's at least two and he's saying it's what Buffalo wanted with four, probably at least three now is what you're looking at. Probably three, somewhere in that middle. But that's a massive haul. Now, he is under contract for like less than $6 million for the next like three or four seasons, which is insane. So is he worth it? Absolutely. Crazy. Absolutely. He's a tremendous defenseman. I think he's a top two on probably... Very rough benchmark off the top of my head. 25 teams in this league is a top two defenseman. I think he makes sense for a lot of the contenders right now. Even at the top of the chain, from Florida and the New York Rangers on down, he makes sense for those two, amongst others. But it comes down to giving up that price for that type of player. I sit here and I say it's worth it, considering the cost and considering the cap hit and considering how long he's under that contract for. You're going to have him. For certain teams, that may have lessened how much he makes sense. For one, for one instance, I saw a lot of talk of it on Twitter. New York Rangers, 
right? They have a lot of money tied up in their defense between Jacob Truba, um, Adam Fox. They're going to have to re-sign Keandre Miller if he doesn't go the other way, which Chikrin, maybe that's a guy that does go the other way to Arizona in that package. But they do have a lot of money tied up on defense. So does he make sense there? Who knows? But I say it's worth the price. I think Chikrin's a hell of a talent. And I think, like I said, he's a top two defenseman on at least 25 teams in the league. And probably, probably the best contract in the league right now from a pure like value per dollar standpoint. I'd put him up there with anybody today. Um, keeping the Canadian dumpster fire theme alive, we've had Montreal, then we had sort of Winnipeg, then we had Vancouver, then we had Edmonton. But going back to Vancouver. They've caught fire under Mr. Bruce, Bruce Boudreau. What does that mean for them from a roster-building standpoint where a couple months ago we were like, sell the, burn everything, uh, sell the team, sell this, sell that. But Brock Besser is going to be a Boston Bruin. Where, where are they at today? They're pumping the brakes hard right now. This is a wait-and-see situation in Vancouver. They're slowly but surely creeping back into that picture of being one of the top dogs in the Western Conference. And that's crazy. truly contributed to Bruce Boudreau, which is – as freaking crazy as it is to say, he's the catalyst in all of that. So it's pump the brakes time in Vancouver. I don't think you're going to hear a lot for the Vancouver Canucks for the next couple of weeks just because they're going to let this thing run out. Let's see where it takes us. If we win another 10 hockey games out of the let, if they play the next 13 and they go 10 and 3 out of the next 13 or 10 2 and 1, then you're not moving a guy like a JT Miller or a Brock Besser. You're in fact, you're probably looking at a guy like Ben Sherratt, right? So Ooh. that's where Vancouver's at right now. They're not sellers. They're not buyers. But if they continue to stay on the streak and they get hot, then, you know, maybe they become buyers down the deadline and JT Miller's going nowhere. Or, or quite... listen, let me preface this. If they go 2-10-1 two, two in their next 13, and maybe these discussions start up again and we say it was good while it lasted. Bruce Boudreaux was a funny guy for 10 minutes. So I think that like everything's kind of up in the air right now in Vancouver. I wouldn't be so eager to talk about JT Miller or Brock Besser trade rumors because we just don't really know what Vancouver's up to at this point. They're going to bring in a general manager. I still feel strongly, and I've said this since he was let go in, in Montreal on this podcast, and now it's great to see that, you know, Elliot and Pierre and some of the guys are jumping on the back of my train, that Scott Bellamy is going to get a real look at this job. So let's see who they bring in in the front office first, and then we'll see where Vancouver kind of charts their course for the rest of the season. You mentioned Ben Sherratt, another Montreal Canadian that has sort of made a little bit of uh, headway in the rumor mill here, is Brendan Gallagher. What do you know about Gallagher and where, you know, his his level of contentness, that's not a word, but you know what I mean. What, what was, what's up with Brendan Gallagher? For lack of a better way of asking, I'm sorry. Well, he understands the position the organization's in. They're about to bring in a new general manager. They have a new vice president of hockey operations in Jeff Gordon. They're not going to be good this year. They're probably not going to be good next year either. They're going to bring in a new coach. It's not going to be Don Ducharme behind the bench. So... All signs point to a rebuild to some degree in Montreal. And many people are saying, boots on the ground, that we're not sure. Many people. Many Many people people are saying. Many people have said it. Um, 
that we're not sure if Brendan Gallagher, Gallagher wants to be a part of that again. And maybe this is the best time if there is a window to move on from Montreal. Now, he has a no-trade clause, a no-movement clause. This will be in full consultation with him. But if this is the window, now might be the time for his window to move on. Gritty, pain-in-the-ass type of player that you love to play with and hate to play against. I know it's a cliche. It says a lot, but Brendan Gallagher is one of those true embodiments of that type of phrase. The New York Rangers need a winger. Oh, boy. And the, the Rangers need everything. They have everything. They're leading the league in points. They're, they're a wagon. They're not a wagon. The fucking New York Rangers, man. I have so many Rangers fans in my mentions, and I got Jimmy Collins. Jimmy fucking the he, Ted, he's hitting me up saying the Rangers this way. The, Ra- the, the New York Rangers, I'm just jealous, by the way. This is just my, the Buffalo Sabre in me saying, well, fuck the New York Rangers. But my God, the New York Rangers, they need everybody. They get everything they want. Chris Drury's the GM, All-American. Sorry. No, That's my New York Ranger. If rank. you really think about it, though, they brought in Sammy Blay to be a pain in the ass that scores goals, right? Yeah. And now Sammy Blay tore his ACL and he's out for the year. Brendan Gallagher, to your point at the beginning of the show, how Casey Middlestad was Cole Caulfield 1.0, is Brendan Gallagher not a, you know, everybody says this guy's a poor man's this guy. Is Brendan Gallagher not a rich man's Sammy Blay? So you could say that. You could say that. To a much larger degree, much more talented, probably a little bit more of a pain in the ass, too, to play against. You know, probably not well-liked by guys like Chris Kreider that have been around in the Rangers yeah, locker room. There, I was going to say, there, there would have to be some uh, some some steak dinners bought mending of the, the beginning after that trade. Yeah, yeah, mending, mending of the fences. fences to be done in New York if they go that route. Also, who knows if Jeff Gordon would want to send them there. We do know that Jeff Gordon sent Michael Grabner to New Jersey, Rick Nash to Boston when he was in New York, so he's not afraid to make that rivalry trade if it makes the most sense for his for his team. But I hate to be the one that throws that out there into the world, but if you really think about it, with a team that's in first place in the New York Rangers that is looking to add, and they probably won't add at the scale of a Phil Kessel, would that not be their big add, a guy like Brendan Gallagher? Just something to ponder. Why not? Why not? Montreal needs picks, and Brendan Gallagher needs a, a place to win a Stanley Cup. It's going to be a tough trade for Montreal fans. I know he's he's well-liked up there, but if he is on the block, like we think he is, uh, interested to see where he lands and what team he helps in the playoffs. For sure, he has some, he has some term as well on that contract. So, Moving across the uh, tri-state area into New Jersey, who we mentioned before Christmas and the new year that – Lindy Ruff very much on the hot seat, team falling apart around uh, him. Everybody's hurt. What's going on with our friends at the Prudential Center? Well, it's all falling apart in New Jersey. Everybody's injured, like you mentioned. Dougie Hamilton now with a broken jaw. Nico Hiche, are we saying broken ankle, I think was the report. LBI is what they called it, but the belief is a broken ankle on Nico Hiche. And Jack Hughes is still kind of, Gingerly easing his way back to where he was pre-shoulder injury. Jonathan Bernier's out for the season with hip surgery. They're going to sell off sooner than later. And P.K. Subban probably is the the key player in that sell-off. They'll retain some salary on him. He's a free agent at the end of the season. Don't know how much he provides on the top end anymore for a team, but if you're looking to build defensive depth, maybe get a guy in the middle six, bottom, uh, middle 
Yeah, middle six of the defenseman or the bottom pairing. P.K. Subban makes sense for that role. So if you're a team that can afford $4.5 million, he's the guy that you probably would want. Veteran leadership, experience. Well-liked wherever he, went, wherever he goes. He's a fun guy to be around, P.K. Subban. So he's the keystone in the sell-off in New Jersey. Lindy Ruff will not be there. I'll hold the torch for that for as long as you want me to. He's not going to be the coach there next season. He's probably not going to be the coach at the end of this season still. It's more so now, like, do you fire him? Everybody's hurt anyway type of deal. So it's like, do we want to make this change without anybody there? Maybe you do because you say, listen, this is a skeleton squad as it is, so it doesn't matter what the new guy, he has time to, when the new guys, or when the original guys get back in the lineup, to grow with them. But that's a side point. And Mackenzie Blackwood, Blackwood's not as good as we thought he was either. Um, he's, uh, and I've had that take for a very long time, and I've taken a lot of crap from New Jersey fans on Twitter. Mackenzie Blackwood is not an elite goaltender, and you should have took Yaroslav Askarov when you had the chance. Shots fired from NRD right there. Yeah, I, I generally agree with you. I do like some of the guys on that team, though, like a Jesper Brat has more production per minute than uh, almost anybody in the league. And he, I, I think I've said this before on this podcast, him and Joel Farabee are my two non-superstar superstars that I would put on my team if I was drafting my, my fantasy draft day one. Not necessarily for production, but just the way they play the game is unbelievably fun to watch. It's funny, too. I, I uh, Nate Bastion, New Jersey Devil. I actually played with a Nate Bastion growing up. Um, same birth year and everything. It's kind of a, a funny every night. I'm like, oh, my God. That's my my neighbor from from growing up playing high school hockey with him on the Devils. It's not. No relation. Not even Don't even look remotely the same, but a quick aside there. Um, let's go into some of the, the things the folks sent us, NRD, before we wrap up here. We mentioned it earlier in the show, but Tuka Rask is very close to being a Boston Bruin. He will be a Providence Bruin, which uh, some have said that he's not exactly thrilled about. Hide your milk crates, but Providence. Uh, he's going to throw them. <laughs> well, what do we think the Bruins do uh, with Tuca and then any updates on Jake DeBrusque and his situation? Regarding Tuca, whether he likes it or not, he's going to play a couple games in Providence and he's going to be up with the big club, as I've speculated and said from educated knowledge, is that somewhere in that $1 to $2 million range, probably split the difference on that, he'll be back for the rest of the season. Easy situation in that. Jeremy Swayman's waiver is exempt. He's just going to float between the taxi squad and the big club, and they're probably going to shuffle all three in and out as they see fit. Um, and, you know, having the taxi squad helps them tremendously. The fact that they can bring guys to the taxi squad and not have to send them all the way down to the A now is huge for, the, for that club when they're trying to navigate their three-goalie situation. As far as Jake Bruss goes, like I said, I threw cold water on that Edmonton Oilers, Calgary, Yamamoto stuff. And it's kind of dead dead noise right now, dead space, bad radio, if you want to call it, with Jake DeBrusque, because there's a lot up in the air. He's obviously not cracking the lineup. Oscar Steen got a better role than him the other night in the lineup from Boston. They're not even using a fun him. Little, fun goal for Steen last night as well. And a lot of people asked me whether that was a high stick or not, because the puck was Ooh. on top of the net. And from my oh, understanding okay. is that the, the netting itself, it's like a... It's like a 
sentient being, like the netting is all connected. So if you hit the puck on the oh. netting, it's not because the netting is the same as the netting down low. It's actually above the crossbar. I don't know. It's what I was told to believe. <laughs> but uh, I'll check the okay. NHL rulebook on that. Um, but Jake DeBrusque is not really playing any major minutes in that lineup anymore. Sweeney would like to move him. We know Jake DeBrusque would like to move on. It's just a matter matter of getting that offer from the right organization. Like like we've said many, many times on the Cold Stove Pod, way back from our second episode on, is that it doesn't look like Boston's ready to take futures. They still want somebody that can step into their lineup and at least provide something on the third or fourth line and in addition to whatever else comes in that package. And I think that's where we're at right now. Teams offering futures, Boston not really wanting futures, and we'll see the situation play itself out probably over the next month or so as we head into the March 21st deadline. Interesting to watch that because I think a well, good problem to have, right? Three good goalies and none of them have degenerative knee issues. So can't, well, uh, Linus Allmark is hurt constantly, but I digress. Well, let's go back to the Rangers for a second. Clearly they're the wagon. Clearly I'm mad that they are. That's fine. I, I, I get it. Whatever. Not anymore since Grinny print those t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, you got to be careful when you print the wagon T-shirts. Things happen to fall apart, perhaps for years. I don't know. Just personal experience there. They do have assets. One being Vitaly Kravtsov that we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast. Ryan Strom, another one that scored, I think, last night or two nights ago, whenever that was. Georgiev, Nemeth, Miller. I don't think they trade Keandre Miller, but Philip Hedl. Are they done? tweaking this roster from a major move standpoint or do you see stuff happening before the the playoffs here i'm led to believe it's less major by terms of tarasenko phil kessel and it's i mean tarasenko probably at this point there's a good chance he doesn't go anywhere anyway anymore because st louis is playing really well they're working their way back into playoff picture but i'm tending to believe it's less of a that move it's not a probably not a bench rod either i don't know where he fits into that rangers lineup it's more of a, like I mentioned, a Brendan Gall. It's going to be selective. If they're going to bring in a big name, it's going to be a guy that fits the mold of what Gerard Gallant is doing. Riley Smith comes to mind. Now Vegas worked themselves into a brilliant solution to their problem. Max Pacioretty's getting wrist surgery. They don't need now to clear up any cap space at this point to bring Jack Eichel back into the fold. So they don't have to move Riley Smith if they don't want to. He is a free agent still at the end of the year. If they don't feel that they're going to make a deep cup run this season, you don't want to keep him as your own rental. So they could, I could still see Vegas moving Riley Smith, but he's the type of guy that fits Gerard Gallant's system. I think that the Rangers moves at the deadline are going to be very selective. That's going to be the word of the day for the New York Rangers. The word of the next couple of months is selectivity. They're going to have to fit the mold of what Gerard Gallant and Chris Drury's built that roster to be. It's not going to be, let's go get Phil Kessel for the sake of getting that big name in like they've done years past with Keith Yandel and, you know, Eric Stahl and those type of guys. It's not going to be like that. It is going to be, is he going to fit the mold of this roster construction? He's not going to touch our top line of Zibanejad, Kreider, uh, Kako right now. Panarin comes back. He plays with Strom. I know they're still looking for that Jesper Foss type player. That's where like a guy like Brandon Gallagher comes to mind. And I keep mentioning his name and Montreal fans are going to be disgusted and maybe some New York Rangers fans too. But that type of role, like, it's going to have to fit in the mold of their lineup. They're not going to just make a big move for the sake of, hey, we got Tomas Hurdle or, you know, Phil Kessel, is my belief at this point. 
hope they lose in the first round. No, just kidding. Just kidding, Rangers fans. I do enjoy watching your team play. I do think they're going to be fun for years. And again, I am just jealous. More people on the block to look out for are all UFAs at the end of this season. Johnny Goudreau, not necessarily on the block, but a guy like him, Nazem Kadri, Philip Forsberg, and Phil Kessel. Between those four guys, the most interesting storyline to watch is whom? Philip Forsberg. Because there's been a very good player. Very good player. There's been rumors for a while that the Preds would move on. I think that the Preds are delaying the inevitable. I think they're destined for a rebuild here sooner than later. I just don't think that the, what they have is sustainable over the next two or three seasons. They had their cup run, the P.K. Subban era, Nashville Predators. They they went on that tear. They played Pittsburgh. They got beat. I think that's starting to fall apart now. You're starting to see some kinks in the armor and that they, um, they're destined for a rebuild. Ryan Johansson's another name that comes to mind. It's an impossible contract to move, really. But if you know, if a team like an Arizona wants to add some veteran talent down the line to what they're trying to build there, maybe next year, the year after, he's a guy I'd look at that he can provide a little bit to a younger team that has the cap space to afford him with a retained salary and whatnot. Um, not necessarily a true dumping ground, but he adds a little bit to the lineup. They're destined for a rebuild. Philip Forsberg is interesting because there's been a ton of interest with with him over the years. Toronto was one team that came to mind. Now, those trade talks never amounted to any fruition because David Poyle didn't want to move Philip Forsberg last season. But if he decides to move him now, Toronto doesn't make sense from a cap standpoint. But if you look at some of the teams that have a lot of cap space available, he I think Philip Forsberg, if he becomes available, instantly transcends to the top of the list of trade bait for this season. He's better than Tomas Hurdle, obviously better than Phil Kessel, younger than Phil Kessel. That's not the shit on Phil either. By the way, Phil Kessel... I think now's the time, if ever, he should end up in Minnesota. And I don't know if we're going to get to this, but there's a fit that I think we were close with the Pittsburgh Penguins a couple of years ago, and then that didn't end up happening. I'd like to see Phil the Thrill in Minnesota. I think he'd make a lot of sense there. They're just looking for a guy that can score a little bit more, provide for the lineup. But I digress from Phil. We're talking about Phil Forsberg. He is the crown jewel if he becomes available in Nashville. Going back to Kessel for a second, Kessel and Kaprizov on a line or a power play would be a social media would just every every time they do anything, it would just be kind of funny yeah. in a way for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe that's honestly yeah. you have maybe that's why I'm thinking of that fit, but it would be entertaining. <laughs> It'd just be funny. It'd be entertaining. They they would play well off each other from like uh, they they would end up like laughing on the ice. I feel like which which hockey needs more of is is guys having fun and not just. Hard-nosed dinosaurs that go into the corners and and turn the puck over. I don't know. Two pieces of NHL business side of things. NRD, one, the Calgary Flames arena deal is officially dead. And two, private equity funds are now allowed to own up to 20% of a team themselves and up to 30% of a team's equity with multiple funds. Jeff Vinnick of Tampa Bay Sold a minority stake to Arctos Sports Partners, uh, who also bought into the Minnesota Wild. A new era for the NHL. Do either of these stories intrigue you beyond the obvious? Well, they intrigue me for obvious reasons. I know it's the antithesis of what you just said. 
the, the the private equity firm intrigues me because the NHL needs a cash influx and as many new prospective owners or minority owners as possible and percentage of ownership is is great for the league because we just need cash at this point. So I don't care where you're taking it from as long as it's clean cash and it's not from John Spano. I think that uh, <laughs> I think that you take it if you're Gary Bennett. Now the other thing with Calgary, you know the Atlanta Flames are a great club and Turner Sports is based out of Atlanta. Oh boy. <laughs> And it's not the no and no. no. <laughs> the Austin Flames is better. The Austin Flames, no Calgary. Listen, the the Saddle Dome is. Uh, I'd love to make a trip out to the Saddle Dome at one point. Go to the rodeo too. Calgary Stampede, man. That'll be uh, a stand. That's what it is. That's what it is. I'm sorry, the Calgary Stampede. That'll be the um. That'll be the first cold stove on location. Just to you know that catwalk that they have up there, the the, the media catwalk. It's crazy. It's like, it's, it's it far too dangerous. They actually have like one of those zip line guys that puts you in a harness. They strap you in just to walk you over to the yeah. press box. It's it's nuts. Goodness. I'd love to take a trip out there and uh, see the Saddle Dome at least one more time before they negotiate a new deal. No, I'm not concerned by anything in Calgary. If anything, I'd be more concerned about Ottawa, which we're not talking about today. Maybe we'll talk about that at another time on another show. But the fact that Ottawa can't seem to find a new barn and their current building is literally a barn in the middle of a freaking cornfield. Uh, yeah, that would concern me more than Calgary if we're talking about Canadian arena situations. I'll t- I was kind of mentally going through this episode. I was like, okay, Vancouver has had a shit show moment. Winnipeg has had a shit show moment. Edmonton having their shit show moment. Montreal, obviously. Ottawa has been a, a shit show for years. And Toronto's sort of knock on wood. Toronto is the only unscathed canadian team right now so that only can mean that jack campbell will like tear his acl ahead of the playoffs and then we will go seven for seven on the canadian shit show division love to see it happen listen (laughs) twitter twitter's a great place when toronto is not doing well oh hockey twitters they can be a beating uh, last thing nrd before we before we do get out of here i wanted somebody asked about the the sabers uh building up their analytics team in the front office and just sort of the direction of the team in general. It's the first time I've been excited about a hockey club in Buffalo in, um, you know, freak runs aside in 2018, obviously I joke about it and Grinelli I joke about, but it was clear that the roster did not match up to the, what was happening. This is the first time I've been excited about this team in, in, literally a decade you know you, you kind of feign the well if if you know eichel hall and skinner can put something together and, and wow they could be middlestad and reinhardt and olafson was breaking through and all of a sudden they have two lines and you have risto and no th- this is true excitement about the pipeline about what they have on their team about how Anders Bjork, who by all accounts is a fantastic hockey player, can't crack the lineup right now, not even because he's really in the doghouse. He just he can't crack the top two lines and doesn't belong in the third or fourth. So it's like, well, what is he going to do? Between the guys they have coming in, the Paterkas of the world, Jack Quinn, uh, Owen Power, obviously, Isaac Rosine, who's a guy that nobody talks about, but he was going to light up the World Juniors before it got canceled. They have guys and they have three first-round picks coming up. It's like all of a sudden you look at the Buffalo Sabres and holy shit. They have a five-year plan. 
and they're doing it in a smart way. They brought in Jason Carmanos from Pittsburgh, who's analytics-heavy Harvard guy. They bring in Kevin Adams, who's obviously a puppet GM. I get that. But they're letting him kind of do his own thing. And I do appreciate that. Now, the analytics part of the things. I think it's very clear that, okay, I'm in on that. But it's happening for a reason. It's because hiring kids from Twitter who make cool graphs and fancy charts is much cheaper than hiring a guy who played for the Sabres for 10 years to have some sort of you know, player development role, which they do. Adam Mayer is one of them. Great guy. But they're building their front office with quote-unquote nerds who do analytics because it's cheap. It's smart on Twitter, but it's cheap. And the Padulas are cheap fucks. So... That is what we're doing here. And it's and they're gonna like just like they did with Buffalo, they lucked into a Super Bowl contender with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. They're going to trip and fall over cheap solutions to the Buffalo Sabres problem and get them in the playoffs in the next couple of years. And I can't wait. You know what? Fuck it. I can't wait. Do you wait. think the Pagulas are that stupid and cheap that when they hired Brandon Bean, they thought they were hiring Billy Bean to run the Buffalo Bills? Yes, absolutely. They were like, Oh, who's that guy from the movie? Let's get him. And when he walked in, it didn't look like Brad Pitt. They're like, wait a second. <laughs> Who is this guy? So I, I don't know. That's my that's my Sabres. It's not a, you know, rant. it's funny because Moneyball is a great movie. Brad Pitt, great actor. It is. Great movie, great Billy actor. Bean, great story. It works until it doesn't work. Until you need it works to- until you're in the, yeah, until you're down 3-1 in the second round of the playoffs and you can't do anything. Well, it works until those nerds want to get paid because they're good at what they do and they're passionate. And then when you don't want to pay them, there's no second. The pipeline is bare for nerds. Yeah. You know why? You know why they, they, they come in with low salaries because they're the cool. is like, well, why would we pay you? You're, you have this really cool model and really cool algorithm. We'll pay for that. But like, where have you been? You haven't been, you haven't been the assistant GM of Detroit or you haven't been the assistant uh, national scout in Colorado. Like, you know, we're picking you up off the street, so that's our leverage. And, and more power to them, NRD. If we can create the best analytics department in the NHL, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Headed up by Mr. Carmanos and Co. There you go. Anyway, that'll do it for Cold Stove. Anything else before we bop, uh, bop out of here, NRD? No, I think we hit all the big topics. Appreciate the questions again. I know uh, I tried to answer as many as I could last week, and this week we answered a bunch. So appreciate the questions. Still keep an eye out for two a week once we get into trade deadline season of the Cold Stove Pod. Excited for that. And uh, don't forget leaving your five-star ratings, subscriptions. We love it all. Spotify, you can rate now. Can't write any ratings on Spotify. But five-star, leave it on Spotify. Brett's giving me the Oscar music. It's time for me to get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Cold Stove Pod, that's a wrap. NRD, NHL Rumors Daily on Twitter. I'm Brett Merriman, Ed Merriman. Thank you uh, for joining in for me last week. We'll see you guys next week special guest next week keep an eye out all right see ya